Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome again. Uh, we are happy that you joined us for another episode of our show. And on this one, we get a chance to visit with a woman who is um, kind of a groundbreaker, uh, Christina Poncher, who is uh, doing boxing broadcasting for ESPN and also for Top Rank. Uh, she is now only the second woman to do play-by-play on boxing uh, and she does the uh, ESPN Plus shows and also the international shows that Top Rank does when they do the international distribution. Uh, Christina is a very fine reporter. She's worked on the NFL Network and many other sport outlets. And now she is really committing a lot of her time, most of it, to the sport of boxing. So we have had, uh, had a lovely uh, chat with her that we're going to show you during the course of the show. We're also going to answer a number of your questions, and I have a very special flashback for you as well, uh, dating back to uh, uh, a time when I met my idol. Right now, a gentleman who has always been my idol, uh, and now I get to work with him, my friend Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you? Good, but maybe you want to aim a little higher? Just saying. <laughs> I, gr- I, grew up, I grew up idolizing you. Well, thank you very much. You know, it. Uh, I did some of my best work back when you were eight, nine, and ten years old. But you are covering me. I, I thank you. You know, my father-in-law keeps mentioning Don Dumphy, so you've got me off the hook. And he, his suggestions for the show is we focus on the golden era of fights back in the fifties. And I said, demographically, Saul, that might not work. <laughs> An occasional reference is good, and we will have a reference uh, in my flashback tonight, but probably not the place we want to put all our efforts, for sure. (laughs) So you uh, had a heck of a weekend. I watched the show, and it was fun to see you uh, back working again. Mohegan Sun looked like they treated you guys very well. Yeah, we we kicked off our our, our very um, busy Showtime schedule of boxing between now and uh, the end of the year. Uh, and we started things off at what will be our new home away from home, the Mohegan Sun that you referenced. And they created a venue um, that was really kind of interesting. You know, it, it, it really worked very well, I think, for the boxing. Obviously, there were no fans there. They had to social distance us for the on cameras that we did. And also sitting ringside, we were separated from the ring with plexiglass and um, separated from each other as well, which is a key point because when you broadcast an event, your proximity to your other broadcasters, literally right next to them, is a big part of how you play off each other. And I'm I will tell you, it took us a fight in that broadcast to really kind of figure out the um, uh, the interplay between us uh, because of the distance that. Uh, that we had from each other, and we we did, and I was pleased with the the uh, results. But it was it was it was a little bit of a challenge. So um, we did get past you know the the COVID nineteen challenges, and we had what turned out to be I think a really nice production. Well, the nice thing from this moving forward is that Showtime has done all the hard work now. When your bosses were planning this out, they probably didn't see the spike that's 
come in the last four weeks. So you guys are, are in great shape to go through the whole fall. Yeah, you know, getting through the first one, it, very important. And, uh, and, and, and we did learn from, uh, you know, the top rank ESPN shows were kind of the forerunner and those shows were um, char- going into uncharted territory. And I'm sure that the people at Showtime learned from their experiences. And now that we've done one, uh, we know the the dynamics of it and we can move forward with it and uh, we look forward to it. It was a, you know, it's a good space to do the fights from. And uh, I think, um, you know, we're going to have a a good run of moving forward, but it it is interesting. It would, you know, I didn't find any, anything different about doing it without the fans. I have to be honest. I didn't think I would. And I didn't, you're laser focused on the boxing match. The boxers are competing with the same intensity that they would if there were fans. So while we are, of course, we all love the element of the fans being a part of it, uh, it really didn't make it, um, you know, uh, uh, that different an experience from the standpoint of announcing fights. Well, what was interesting is both cornermen were mic'd up, but they realized that the other side could hear them. So they're whispering. And the other funny thing that happened in one of the undercard fights, you predicted it would end soon. The second those words came out of your mouth, the ref called it. And it was from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, it was funny. Um, it was uh, the fight with uh, Ra'is Salim um, and his opponent, Marcus Bates. I saw him shaking his hand, Bates shaking his hand a little bit, like it looked like he was having problems. And then I said, look, he's got an issue with his arm. And I don't know if, it would, and it turned out to be his wrist, but it was something with his right hand or arm and, or wrist. And very shortly after that, uh, the referee did come in and then it, it was stopped because of uh, his issues with the arm. But, uh, you know, you one of the things from when you're calling fights, if you're doing it the right way and if you're paying attention, you want to look at every element of what the fighters are doing. And sometimes you you have to be careful about that. You know, I've seen fighters appear to be uncomfortable. And if you sell it too hard, uh, you won't look good because then the next round, that right hand that you said you thought might be injured, boom, they use it to score a knockout or something. So you have to be really careful to word it in just the right way and not oversell it. But in this case, um, it did, it did happen that way. So it was a good beginning to, uh, the, uh, to our schedule. And I was very pleased that, uh, we did that. Uh, you referenced earlier, uh, the great Don Dunphy. And, uh, as a matter of fact, he will be the topic of this week's flashback. Back in 1985, when we had done five years of the ESPN top-ranked boxing series on ESPN, we were celebrating our fifth anniversary, and we were trying to think of ways that we could make that show special. And somebody came up with the idea, oh, and we were also moving to Friday nights. And somebody came up with the idea that since we were going to Friday nights, why don't we get the man that made the Friday night fights Uh, so popular on network television, the great Don Dunphy, to guest on the show. Well, when I heard that, my heart skipped a beat because uh, I grew up watching Don Dunphy. Uh, When I was a young man, I would sit... uh, Well, first, when I was a young man, I would sit... uh, My dad used to watch the fights, and I would be on the um, staircase out of eye shot of him because I wasn't supposed to be up. And I would listen to the fights on TV as my dad watched them. And I heard Don Dunphy's voice describing the action. 
unbeknownst to me, my mother and father knew all along that I was there. And finally, one night I heard uh, my father say, or my mother say to my father, okay, let him come down. <laughs> and I got to come down and sit next to my dad and watch, uh, and watch the fights. And uh, Don Dunphy was the man uh, doing the announcing. And uh, that's where I got to see great fighters like Sugar Ray Robinson and all the other great boxers of the day. And so flash now forward to 1985 when I'm going to get to interview Don Dunphy for our fifth anniversary and moving to Friday Night Fights. And I have to tell you, I was pretty nervous because I'd never met him. I didn't know him. I had no idea if he knew I existed uh, and what would it be like. And you know how you always wonder, people that you really admire, will they live up to your image of them? Uh, how will they be when you meet them? Well, Don Donfi came in, put his hand out, and said, Al, so nice to meet you. And it was so Don Dunphy-ish. It was so direct and open-hearted, and just the way I would have anticipated he would be. And we did uh, an interview that went for about six or seven minutes, which is very long for a network uh, TV show that is uh, where you're doing a live sporting event. It was a long interview, and... Uh, it was just delightful. And when we got done with the interview, uh, he said, he gave me his phone number and he said, you know, he said, I, I, I love what you're doing with your career. And he said, I'm very happy for you. And he said, feel free to call me anytime. Well, that was, you know, I, I, in my book, I joked about the fact that, uh, when he did that, the only other thing I can compare that to is, uh, the emotional feelings I had when I met my wife. <laughs> so it was very, very special. And uh, I did, in fact, call him. And over the years, Don Dunphy became a real mentor and a friend to me. And uh, it, when they, Ring Magazine had their 50th anniversary, uh, they did a special event in which they named certain people the greatest in different categories. And they named Don Dunphy the greatest boxing broadcaster of all time. And Don Dunphy requested that I be the one to give him, present the award to him. So I was, you know, over the moon uh, about that. And over the years, we became really, really good friends. And uh, of course, since Don's passed away, I still have a, a great connection to the Dunphy family because Bob Dunphy, Bob's son, who has been one of the best directors in TV sports in the last 30-some years, is, has done a great amount of TV boxing and is the director for the Showtime shows. So, oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so I've had the privilege of, of knowing the Dunphys for a long, long time and the the, the Dunphy family has done so much for the sport of boxing. So I look back at that time in 1985 and I, I look at it with great affection and nostalgia. And uh, one of the joys of my life uh, is knowing Don Dunphy. And I, I think I may have even, I don't know if I've told this story uh, on the podcast, but another Don Dunphy story is uh, when I was singing, when I was doing my uh, shows at Caesars Palace in the 80s, my music shows, and um, we would, uh, uh, before the big fights like Leonard and uh, Hearns and Hagler, Leonard and Hagler, Hearns and all those fights, Duran, uh, Leonard, all those, uh, I would perform at Caesars Palace uh, in the nights leading up to the fights. And 
Don Dunphy, in the, one of my early performances, uh, came to one of the performances, and Don was a big devotee of Broadway. Uh, he, in his heyday in the 40s and 50s and 60s uh, and 70s, uh, he knew many of the great uh, creators of the Broadway musical scene. He was friends with Irving Berlin. He knew Cole Porter. Uh, he knew all the greats, uh, Lerner and Lowe. He knew all the greats of, of uh, Broadway theater. And he came to my show and he said to me, he called me on the phone, he said, now you have to sing something uh, that was written by Lerner and Lowe. He said, I love Lerner and Lowe. He said, so do me a favor. You got to sing me a song by Lerner and Lowe. Uh, and... Uh, I said, okay. So I sang something from My Fair Lady. I think it was on the street where you live. And I look out in the audience that night, and there is uh, Don Dunphy with a guest. And the guest was Frederick Lowe. Wow. Who had written all those great musics, <laughs> the musicals with Alan J. Lerner. He brought him to the show. And here I was singing one of his songs to him. Uh, and Frederick Lowe ended up being a lovely, lovely man. And it was a thrill meeting him. So uh, Don, Don, Don Donfi provided me with all kinds of thrills, including, including that one. So that was a very, very special memory for me, to be sure. Al, on a future show, is there any chance you'll do any, anything from the Book of Mormon or something? <laughs> That is a great show. Yes, that'll do. Maybe we'll, we'll see if we can do. Uh, we'll we create a, a a boxing version of it, and maybe and write okay. it. Perfect. Um, so anyway, that was uh, that was my experience with uh, the great Don Dunphy, and uh, he he is still missed by me and many others. Uh, talking about boxing broadcasting, um, if Don Dunphy were alive today, I am confident he would be happy with the work of uh, this next uh, person that we're going to interview. Um, she is uh, now doing play-by-play, as I mentioned earlier, on ESPN and on the uh, top-ranked international shows. Uh, she's been a, a excellent broadcaster on the NFL Network uh, and other places as well. And I got a chance to visit with Christina Poncher. Here it is. Christina, it is a joy to have you uh, join the, this show. Uh, I've been looking forward so much to visiting with you and adding you to the group of people I've had a chance to chat with. Your um, career and what you've done in the world of boxing is one of my favorite things to ponder. And uh, one of the things that makes me so happy about it is that I very much remember you in your first uh, on one of your first boxing on camera things, which is when you worked with me at the Boxing Channel. Yes, and I was just looking up some fights that we covered, and that was nine years ago now. And wow, that's amazing. I looked up, um, one of the ones that came to mind was Brandon Rios versus Urbano Antion, and that was back in 2011. And I was like, wow. oh my lord, time has, has flown by now. And uh, just from covering events, doing stand-ups and interviews, to now being the only female play-by-play. -play. I mean, we've come quite a ways in the last nine years, but it's an incredible journey. And you've been with me and a mentor of mine and supported my career the whole time. So I, I, part of me, it, it wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for your support and your guidance and me watching you do your thing. So I thank you for that. And I'm happy to be on your show. 
Well, I, I am delighted. And yes, your, your journey, of course, your broadcasting journey includes other uh, successes as well. But um, in, in recent years, uh, you've been so associated with the sport of boxing, and it's been uh, really remarkable. And I remember back when we were doing the Boxing Channel uh, uh, shows, and right then at the beginning, with you getting even into a sport that you were new to, what I sensed about you and what I felt about you was your preparation and your uh, professionalism. And I think that those are two things that transcend, um, you know, being in a, uh, a situation where you're not the one that knows everything, right? Those two things can carry you a, a long way. Well, that's true. I mean, I had the foundation being a uh, graduate of uh, School of Broadcasting, you know, my degree from college in broadcast journalism. So I kind of had that background. I had the uh, internship background, but coming from covering high school football and then covering college basketball and then dipping my toe in boxing, it was like, okay, I know how to interview and I know how to study right. and prepare, but the subject matter was completely different. But mm -hmm. that part can be learned and studied. And the more you immerse yourself right. in it, uh, the more you the more you learn about it. And, uh, but having that foundation of being able to know how to prepare, uh, to study your questions, and to really be open to learning a new subject, right. if you will. That's kind of where it all started. I think that's what you could see from the beginning. So, Yeah, it's a very good point. And, and I always say broadcast, I mean, some of the people I've worked with, um, I always talk about Bob Lee, the great who of course was a great host on ESPN, who did boxing with me long time ago, um, you know, uh, in the in the eighties, and and he was not a boxing guy. He was didn't know the sport <clears throat> very well, but he was a very skilled broadcaster. And I say to this day, he's one of the top six or seven people that I've worked with doing play-by-play -play in boxing because of what you're talking about. He was able to assimilate the subject matter and use his broadcasting skills to get the job done. Now, you, you of course, uh, did a lot of work at the NFL Network, and that was one of the places where I think you honed your skills as a, as a broadcaster. Um, was that, in fact, a great place for you to kind of I mean, it was a wonderful exposure for you, and it yeah. was great for your career, for sure. It, it was, Al. And that was the first time I had um, the, the audience, uh, like a nationwide audience. And I had right. to really um, carry myself in more of a hosting type role, because I was doing a lot of reporting before that. And as you know, mm -hmm. you, you've been in every sort of role. Every role is a little bit different in how you True. carry yourself. One role you have to go in and out of breaks and read promos. Another role you're just asking questions right. and tossing back. I mean, so I was able to sit at the news desk and do news updates with them. And that was at the top of the hour every hour. So that's also copywriting because you're writing headlines. Uh, that's reading out of a teleprompter. I learned a lot from that experience. Yeah. And then the stuff I did in the digital world with them with NFL Fan Pass, going behind the scenes and actually interviewing professional athletes. That was my first experience with that. And they carry themselves a little bit different than the college and the high school athletes that I had interviewed. In Just the a past. smidge, huh? <laughs> yeah, the Eagles <laughs> are a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> over the last ten years, some of these college guys have the same ego as the as the. Yeah. Uh, to, to your point, yeah, that's that's hundred percent true. I, you know, the, the funny thing you're you're saying that you know when I was at Sports Center, I did a lot of baseball coverage, and I always say that 
God bless them, baseball players, not the easiest to cover. Um, you know, I, I, of all the sports, I have to say they were, some of them were a little more difficult. So you get, you know, depending on the situation and where yeah. you're at, you know, sometimes it's a little harder to cover athletes. Boxers, on the other hand, I have found to be very willing subjects. And yeah. I'm curious to get your take on that because you have covered many, many sports. It strikes me that boxers are among the most cooperative. 100% agree with you. And I think that's why I stayed in the sport for so long because yeah. I'm not too jaded or too, you yeah. know, uh, pushed aback by, by the demeanor of, of this type of professional athlete. And also um, the dynamic is completely different when it's an individual sport versus a team sport. And I had only right. covered team sports before. Granted, yes, boxers have a team, but when it comes to performing, it's it's mano y mano or Good you know, point. woman. So that dynamic and that pressure and everything on just one athlete, um, it made it a little bit more challenging to learn how to prepare because you're trying to attack different storylines right. on the athlete you just talked to six months ago and not much has changed versus a football or basketball or baseball team. You can right. talk to a different guy and get different things all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But the egos, just like you said, it's aside from a, a few uh, social media has started to change some things in, in more recent years, but they've right. been the most humble, the most, um, you know, family oriented. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've really, I've really enjoyed them. And a lot of them, you know, could walk around and people wouldn't know who they were and they still are making a million something dollars. That's not really the case in, in, in other sports. So I think that's what helps keep most of them humble. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that's very intriguing. So your boxing journey took you to top-ranked boxing where uh, you did uh, worked on their digital uh, platform and you worked on the international broadcast and pay-per-view shows and a number of different things. And then you have, in fact, become now the second woman. Uh, Claudia Trejos, our good friend, was the first one to do it. And uh, we love her. I know you love her and I love her, too. <laughs> I give her every time someone says the first. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. The second ever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? I once said you were the first. And then I realized, no, you weren't because Claudia had done it. And she, of course, like you, uh, it, it, totally a jack of all trades. She has done every you know, role that you can do in broadcasting, but you, you became uh, the official play-by-play -play person for the ESPN Plus shows and also for the international shows that Top Rank uh, has done. And back a million years ago, when I was the doing being an analyst on ESPN and then started to do play-by-play. What I did was I remember looking at role models of mine, people from the past and from the present, and looking at each of what they've done and trying to gather little pieces of it, not to copy them. Um, what was your approach to how you decided you wanted to approach doing play-by-play? -play? Well, the funny thing is um, I never dreamt or wanted or even asked to do play-by-play. -play. I never saw myself in that role uh top rank and espn approached me about it because we were kind of in this mm. three-man booth where right i was kind of in the middle of doing some play-by-play -play and yeah. also doing some color and they really wanted to go down to a two-man for the plus and the undercard yes. international and they're like look you're kind of doing a little bit of this a little bit of that why don't we 
groom you to take that lead role. And then we can sit you next to either a, a trainer, as in like a Brian McIntyre, Bo Mack, or right. a fighter like Chris Algieri, et cetera, to do the, the analyst. And you do the play-by-play slash color. And I'm like, oh my God, I, Al, I was going to say no at first. Because I really <laughs> didn't feel like, I didn't know if I was ready for it. And Claudia yeah. having done it so long ago, like I didn't have any other even woman to look at and say, okay, I'll just talk to her or I'll get her a lead or whatever. So I looked right. at, there, there wasn't. So I talked to Jim Lampley, who, you know, top rank and uh, HBO had done shows side by side for so long, um, things like that. I, I grew up listening to Vin Scully and uh, Chick Hearn living in, in LA, like the greatest play-by-play -play voices, you know. And, some and of Chick, Chick did course. some boxing, by the way, uh, who he did it very well. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did he did. Know that. He did some boxing. So, you know, I did some of that. And then I just would just keep watching, keep yeah. watching more and more. I had been around the sport for so long. And I think the hardest thing, even now, just doing it a year under my belt is, I think, and I haven't done it in other sports, maybe you can correct me, but it happens so fast. It's got to be the hardest, if not one of the hardest yeah. sports to do play-by-play -play because, or blow-by-blow, -blow because it's not like in, in football where you're like, right. the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, you see what's coming ahead. Right. Boxing, you can't. And if you no. miss a picture, you're looking down at your notes and a knockout happens and you miss it, you've got to wait for the replay. It's just, it's yeah. learning how you go. And if you are over-talking and you are tell, you're telling a, a 45 second or one minute story instead of the 20 second story that you should be telling, <laughs> you yeah. will miss that action and you will be behind. Um, so you're right. And there's no rules in play by play. Although one of my pet peeves is I think we're losing rules in play by play for all sports, but it used to be that, you know, you, you, let's say in football, you would do play by play and you would, You'd be quiet before when the snap of the ball was happening. You'd talk after the play was done. And there were certain rules. Same is true. I did a lot of college basketball play-by-play -play at ESPN. And there were certain, certain things dictated by the action. Not so in boxing. Well, I feel like there's certain things that I was schooled on. Like when action heats up, call a few punches, but let the ambient sound play. Or when there's a knockout, I lay out. Or a knockdown, I lay out. And I let the referee hear the count, hear what's happening. Like, I don't like to talk over it. You can do that when the replay happens, you know? Absolutely. So there's certain things about letting it breathe and letting it flow that um, sometimes can get lost with, especially it's hard in a three-man. You know you work in a three-man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Group, and it's... It's, it's challenging to manage the ebbs and flows of a broadcast team, especially in a sport where things can change in a second. Right. Absolutely. And what you just said, which is part of the reason why I very much enjoy uh, hearing you do it, and I think you are so on track with the style that you bring to it, um, I, I think that's absolutely the truth. And even if um, listeners get used to the idea of people doing something else. At the end of the day, what you just described is really what will suit them better. Uh, my wife, who's a, you know, I've done a lot of music, as you know, and my wife, who's a professional singer uh, for over 35 years, would always tell me, you know, you could see somebody performing and they might be just a little bit 
out of tune, but not everybody knows it. They don't know what they're seeing that's making them feel uncomfortable, but they are uncomfortable. And my theory is that a broadcast in which there's no dead sound and people are talking every second and the action is being subliminated by the announcers, people don't know why that's uncomfortable, but they know they're uncomfortable. Good, really good point. And I think that nowadays in the era of social media and people being able to voice their opinions at the right but you know yeah. the drop of a hat you can <laughs> get a sense of what people like and what they don't like and you yeah. take it with a grain of salt because if your bosses or your producers or your coworkers right. and people say you're doing a good job or they like it but you can kind of hear when the fans and people think someone's talking too much or you know, over yeah. boisterous or, or, or whatnot. So you kind of find your way. And look, I've been doing this role for only a little over a year. I have so much to learn and so much to go, but sitting alongside guys like you, like Rich Murata, like yeah, the Colonel true. Bob Sheridan, yeah. like, you know, it, it, you three um, have been like my godfathers in this sport mm -hmm. and have you know and, and i'll have something unique and bring something different the colonel could do yeah. a whole broadcast by himself a four-hour broadcast you know by himself and talk the whole time and be totally <laughs> fine you know you and then rich like everyone has their different style and i'm trying right. to grab a little bit of all of that and find my, my place and, and where my lane's going to be and i think the fans know i'm still doing that but they've given me a lot of respect and a lot of kudos because you know it's 10 years now and they kind of understand okay yeah. That's right. She's, she's, she's doing. She's found her voice, and now she just needs to find her voice in this role. And you know, yeah, that's well put, and that's exactly it. You've already earned their respect from the work you've done, and uh, and now they're just seeing you in a different light. One of the uh, uh, this era of boxing uh, is one that has produced, I think. Uh, some very exciting moments and some very exciting fighters, many of which you've had the uh, the privilege to to cover. And now coming out of the you know as we are coming out of the pandemic and uh, and and getting boxing going again, which Top Rank did uh, as pioneering uh, to try and get fights on, and they had to go through the slings and arrows of all the things that could or might go wrong and that they had to work past. So kudos, kudos to them for doing it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the things that emerged from <laughs> this, this summer series that you just did on, on top rank was a kind of a folk hero emerged um, a guy who is a former MMA fighter and who is uh, uh, at 27 years of age, improving as a boxer and he put on some really great performances and won the hearts of fans. And that's Clay Collard. Yeah, you know, we did not see that coming at all. No. Clay. Um, you know, there was a few guys that we thought just from, as you know, having Zoom fighter meetings now where you get some of the right. person to hear their story and you're like, ah, oh, it's hard to root against this guy. Or, you know, I, I hope he does well or I hope he has a good performance. And when you're going against a guy like David Kaminsky, who's a hot prospect, and you're just thinking, you know, he's, he's in there as the B-side, he's in there as the opponent, but I hope he has a good showing. And then he wins, and you're looking at his resume, and he's beating undefeated guy after undefeated guy, and you look at his style, and it's just unorthodox, squared up, come forward, throw a lot of punches, yeah. not throw angles, and you're like, 
what's going on with this guy? But it, <laughs> it's working and it's entertaining as heck. And he's entertaining and his story. And I think that's been the great part about, you know, being able to showcase some of these guys that would not have been on television pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, right. giving them an opportunity because every now and again, you get these diamonds in the rough. And I'm not saying that, I mean, who knows if he'll work his way to, to world championship level, but there are levels to this game. And there are absolutely that, that belong to fill in all those spots. Yes. And he's a guy that has really taken advantage of the opportunity, has dedicated his, you know, his life now to, to boxing and, and to the sport. And um, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do next. I mean, it, it, Top Rank does a great job of matchmaking and they know what they're doing with guys like this. And as he continues to progress and moves on more of the quote-unquote A-side, although he will say, I don't look at myself ever as an A-side. I like right. to be an underdog. I've fought my way to get to where I am my whole life with that mentality. Um, but he's, he's been a special one. And, and I'm glad that everybody has gravitated towards his story, being homeless, living in the car. I mean, that's amazing. If you haven't heard about, I mean, I'm sure if you're in boxing world, you've heard about Clay Collard, but look him up and it's, it's hard to root against guys like that. Yeah. You, you make a good point. Every level of his story is fascinating. And you made the good point, which I subscribe to hundred percent, you know, there are all kinds of levels of success. And I doing the old Top Rank series on ESPN years and years ago, where, again, it was a developmental series, uh, there would be fighters that would get better every time out. And maybe they weren't going to win a world title, but they were going to win an NABF title, and they were going to be in exciting fights, and they were going to have what you would term as a successful boxing career so there's all kinds of levels of success and clay collard is a perfect example he is getting better at his craft and whether he ever becomes a superstar and is able to to be a a, a champion that's another question but the fact that he's improving every time out and giving fans a lot of excitement is undeniable and we've seen guys, I mean, I, one of my broadcast partners in Chris Algieri, who was a world Perfect champion example. boxer and made the transition to become a world champion boxer. Yes. It's not the traditional route. Although he did have quite an extensive amateur boxing career yeah. because he started as a boxer and then transitioned to uh, being a mixed martial artist and fighting UFC, which didn't work out and then came back to boxing. He has that foundation, but, you know, who's to say that he might, you know, knock it matched correctly and get a shot at a world title who knows but either way like you said he he's good for the sport he's entertaining and he's given us another person that we can you know talk about particularly during the summer series that you, you know will be an entertaining fight each and every time because of his unorthodox style and approach absolutely so boxing getting back into the flow now um we're uh, involved in our uh, uh, a long series now of Showtime fights. Uh, Top Rank is coming back with the, the PBC. The Top Rank is coming back with more fights and bigger fights in their next go around. Uh, and and all fans are now starting to look forward to big fights. And one of the fights that everybody is is interested in, and you've covered both these men and announced their fights. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko clearly one of the top, if not the top, pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world today. And Tiafimo Lopez, who is a, a lightweight champion who 
is coming off what I thought was a remarkable victory against Richard Comey. Richard Comey is a very, very good fighter. And Teofimo Lopez knocked him out very early in that fight. And that was a remarkable performance. So you have the young lion and uh, uh, Lomachenko, uh, who is, you know, more experienced, at least in terms of all his amateur experience, even though he hasn't had that many pro fights, but he's clearly a multiple champion. That's a fight that I have to think as you go around the country and talk to boxing fans uh, and you talk to people in boxing is resonating so much with people. Yeah. And it's been resonating since before COVID-19 hit and people right. are just like, are we, get, are we getting it in May? And then, and then it yeah. was like September and now it's October. And, you know, it's just one of those things where it's got to happen soon. Uh, Tifimo has made it clear that that's his last fight at 135. He's, if you follow him on social media, he's just growing. His body's growing. He's getting bigger. Vasily Lomachenko has been now out of the ring for quite some time. And 135 isn't really his natural weight class. He's more of a 130 uh, pounder. Probably could make 126 if he had to, although... I, yeah. I doubt it, but this is a fight that needs to happen right now, not only for the sport of boxing, for both of these guys, uh, because of where they are at this point in both of their careers, and uh, and it's a unification fight, and in a sport where you have so many champions, and, you know, so many champions, even with one, uh, you know, sanctioning body, it's, it, it's crazy, so these unification fights are very, very important for our sport, and the fact that Vasily Lomachenko is willing to take on the young gun and Tiafimo. Tiafimo's willing at this point after winning a world title for, and in his next fight, he's going to take on the pound for pound yeah. bet at his age. I mean, that says he's got some like, you know, chutzpah too with, with him. So uh, huge, huge fight. And uh, it's interesting. I've seen, you know, on social media, it goes 50-50. I feel like a lot of the young guns are Tiafimo yeah. and they want, they want the new era, and I feel like some people are like, too early for you, young buck. It's still Lomachenko's time, and you haven't seen anybody like him in the pros. So um, it's very intriguing, and I, I really hope that it gets made sooner than later. The whole fans, no fans thing is is really what the, the, the holdup is going to be. Yeah, there, it, it's difficult to make big fights like that. You know, yeah. No, you're right. It's big, difficult to make those fights because of the commerce involved and the lack of fans. And you, uh, is it pay-per-view? Isn't it? How do you do it? Uh, there, there are so many questions. That one is tentatively set for October. And, uh, and it is, in fact, a fight that resonates. You know, that lightweight division, uh, you mentioned Lopez may not stay there long and Lomachenko maybe is truly below it. But there's so many other good 135-pounders that your mouth waters about the idea of even more matchups beyond that with Ryan Garcia and Gervonta Davis uh, and Devin Haney, all yeah. great fighters. Would, would love to see. I mean, they could do a 135 tournament. Sign me up for that. Wow. Throw all the promoters out the window and just let these guys go out. Yes. It it, there is so much talent in that division. No, and there is. All, in my opinion, got that st that star quality not just yes in the thing, but every one of them do carry themselves and how they are on social media and you yeah. know whether they get attention good or bad they still have the eye of the public <laughs> and um that's what you're starting to see with these guys now um becoming stars and i think it's i think that's such a hot division i really look forward to seeing 
what happens in the future of 135. All right, so every promoter watching this uh, show, you got to listen to Christina because she's, she's giving you the right advice. So you, and, and I feel everyone in boxing should listen to you about that and everything else. Thank you. As long as I have you to co-sign for me, then I know I'm headed in the right direction. I'm with you hundred percent. I'm with you hundred percent on that. And most things for sure. Um, you are. So the, one of the questions to you is you are of course doing a lot of boxing. Uh, if down the road you had a chance to work in other sports and you could fit it into your, your schedule, would you still want to do that? Yes, I would. Um, I feel like boxing will always have my heart and yep. something that I would always love to keep um, a foot in no matter what happens, especially being a year round sport. And, you know, we were doing fights maybe two times a month. It still does leave some room for other things, but uh, basketball is my first love. I would love to get back to, to doing some sort of, you know, yep. NBA coverage or, uh, something like that. I, I love football as well. I've done football. Um, but yes, if something else did come my way, I would be open to trying to work something because I love to stay busy. And I, I, I would love that. But boxing is something that I feel like, I don't know, it's just, it stole my heart. Like it's taken it and, and it's got a hold of it. And I, I feel like even if I tried to do something for a little while, even when I was NFL Network was taking up a lot of my time and busy, like I still was like, I need to get back and work this fight. I need to, to stay involved. And you know, you've done other things and been able to steal all these years. Boxing just keeps bringing you back, whether it was from ESPN and Showtime sure. and, 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 and now doing your own podcast where you talk it even when you're not working it. Um, it's just, it's just one of those things where I feel like I, I have to stay involved, even if other No, it's true. And you know, you, you doing this play by play role, uh, is important back years ago i pushed to be do play-by-play -play in boxing hoping it would be a um uh you know a road to doing play-by-play -play in other sports which i did get to do on on some occasions not quite as many as i wanted but still at espn and some other outlets and for you i think the idea of doing play-by-play -play could be uh an attractive idea for other sports for people to come to you as well which it brings us around to the question that I'm almost sometimes loath to ask of my colleagues, uh, my female colleagues, because I almost don't like to call too much attention to it because it, it shouldn't even be a story. But, um, but women, even to this day, uh, it's a bit of an uphill struggle in sports casting. Um, though certainly a million times better than it was, uh, you know, 20 or 25 years ago. Do you feel a responsibility uh, in any way to make sure that you paved the way? And I know I've heard you on interviews with, uh, with other women sportscasters kind of talking about this. So I sense the answer to this is yes. But um, do you feel like there's, there should be a feeling of, helping out to each other? It's 100% why I accepted the position. Uh, it wasn't because of me and in my career. It's the fact that I have an opportunity or mm -hmm. 
girls, young girls, young women, college students, whatever, coming up behind me or, you know, because simply because of age that they can see that presence in that role. Something that I didn't yeah. really see in that role. Right. And I'm also a mother now. So for me to be able to tell this to my son one day, what I was able mm-hmm. to do and my grandkids one day, what I was able to do for that. I, I had to accept because I knew yeah. I wouldn't allow myself to fail. But if I put, you know, my worries and my concerns and, and my fear of failure to the side and know that I have an opportunity to, to push forward what Claudia started many years ago and represent what I can do now, then I couldn't, I can't fail because there's too much riding on this. So that was 100% the opportunity. And I knew that I was seeing you know, Doris Burke in NBA and I'm hearing yeah. Ben Bowens in the NFL and I'm seeing Jessica Mendoza in the MLB and I'm like, okay, there's a few of us out there, but not in the sport that I love so much. Nobody right now in boxing. So I right. have to take this and I have to run with it. And the fact that they came to me with it, did take a little bit of the pressure off because it wasn't like I was begging, begging for the opportunity, right? right. I said, let me just go in there and give it the best uh, shot that I can and then the other woman, either working in boxing, whether or not they have aspirations of being play-by-play. I don't know if Cynthia Conti or, you know, right. Jessica Gonzalez or Michelle Joy Felt or any of these women, Adriana Jimenez. Like, I don't know if they have the desire to be in my role, right. but at least we can check that box that one of us is there. Yeah, and, very good, very good point. Done it, and, and, and hopefully that will open the door for, for more, even women in boxing or, or that aspire to be, or young girls watching fights with their dads. You know? It's very intriguing and says a lot about you that part of your decision-making process in deciding whether you were going to accept the challenge had to do not just with yourself, but how would it affect others. And I think that that is uh, – Knowing you as I do, uh, and 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 knowing about your character and your uh, overall approach to life, I'm not surprised that that's played a role uh, in uh, in your decision making. But I think it's fascinating that it did, and speaks extremely well of you. Well, uh, I can say that I. Uh, know that boxing fans have great respect for you and that they enjoy the work you do as we all in the industry do. And, um, and I know that you're going to, you're going to have a a continued great future in it uh, as you move forward. Al, thank you so much. Like I said, you've been, um, you know, supporting me back from boxing channel, you know, almost 10 years ago and, you know, working alongside you with, with these top ranked early shows and with, Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame and just, you know, seeing how respect and everything you are to know that I have your respect in return um, means a, a lot to me as I, I, I can't put a price on what, what uh, that well, I, I made you proud. Oh, <laughs> you do. You, you, you definitely ago. do that. And, you know, you and I have not had a chance to work on calling fights, which maybe someday we will. But we have had a chance, as you alluded to, to host the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame uh, for our good friend, Rich Murata, who the founder of who you alluded to as a terrific broadcaster, which he is. But he also uh, will have in his legacy and resume that he created the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. And you and I twice now have uh, have hosted that. And the last time we hosted it, that event is is renowned for going about 
15 hours oh, each, each time. And, you yeah. <laughs> and it's always like a pajama party. By the time we're done, we're yeah. getting ready to order a pizza and make prank phone calls, you know. Right. Um, and, and you and I, the last time we thought we had this nailed, and, and we were sitting there thinking to ourselves and maybe just whispering, okay, this is really going, we're going to get done quickly. And of course, we didn't because something always sends it off the rails. But, but we did our part to try and make it quicker. Those shows are awesome. Even having They're Rosie, fun. With that, Rosie Perez worked on those shows with us. And, you know, you never know what someone's going to say in their speech or how long <laughs> we're going to take. It's not like the Oscars or that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Starts playing and it's like, all right, let's go off the stage, off the stage, you know. But no. Are, are so fun. I, I love to support the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame and Rich Rodden. It's, it's really fun. So, uh, yeah. Brock Lewis and what they're doing. And I'm, I'm bummed this year because of everything that has happened that they are not able to have the induction ceremony, especially for all the inductees. Yeah. They make it up next year. And um, even if I'm not hosting it anymore going forward, because my schedule is jam packed, I always try to donate or try to attend as a guest if I can, because it's such a great um, organization there and, uh, you know, nonprofit and uh, boxing, you know, it's, it's a piece of boxing history. And I'm yeah, it's a great, it's a great organization. And, and we, we had, you and I had a lot of fun doing it. And it is a, it is a fun event. Wacky, but lots of fun. Yes, yes. Christina, yes. thank you so much. You guys have a great schedule. I was looking at the fight. Yeah, we do have a really nice schedule. And I am so excited for our sport of boxing to see fights like this come back. It's not a ESPN or Showtime where people absolutely like for the greater good of our sport to put the best fights on TV or on digital as possible. Yes. All your guys' schedule, I'm like, go get it. Like that's there's some some good looking fights there, and I'm happy for you guys to be able to get back to doing what we love so much. Cause yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This has been the longest period in my life that I haven't been on an airplane or called a <laughs> boxing match. So that's kind of strange. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, there a lot of fights are going to start being announced now. Uh, you know, fights on Fox, uh, top ranked fights on ESPN. Uh, I know DAZN has a number of them in the pipeline. So I think what's going to happen is that our announcement of all these fights, because it's long-term going all the way to December, the fights on Showtime, uh, was kind of the kicking off, I think, of a whole bunch of announcements that people are going to make where fans are going to see important fights in the future. I saw that uh, Errol Spence and Danny Garcia looks like it's going to happen. We talked, you and I talked about Lomachenko and Lopez likely in October. Fury Wilder is probably going to be later in the year. And then a whole bunch of others are going to, are going to fill in. I know the, the Victor Postal and um, uh, Ramirez fight uh, is still looks like it's probably on the schedule, right? I'm the charm for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple of fights like that one and several others have been uh, canceled uh, several or postponed several times. Yeah. Christina, I appreciate so much you visiting with us. And um, if you're unlucky, uh, you know, I, I, I'll I'll still have your phone number and uh, and and I'll be bugging you again to be on here. <laughs> I would love to. It's always a great conversation. It's just like chatting with one of my friends and uh, you you well, have my my contact information whenever you need me. Uh, please let me know. And I I just like I said I respect you tremendously and everything you've done, Al, and your book. I mean everything. It's it's 
it's just so, so awesome to have guys like you in my corner. And um, well, I'm, no. I'm thrilled about all the success you you've had. Time. I love you big time. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're the best. Thanks, Christina. Take care. Thank you. Talk to you soon. That was tremendous. Sorry I kept you so long, but it was so interesting. I didn't want to stop it. How long has it been? Oh, who cares? I, it's hard when you're just talking. You don't know. I know. You know what? It was, and this thing, this format is such that you're not encumbered by time. So sometimes you're getting into a really good conversation. Hey, that was wonderful. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great questions. Great conversation. And all right. Know, when, it, when are you, when are you coming back with fights? Do you know? Yeah, the 22nd of August, I think it, we're scheduled to go back. Oh, okay. So you guys are coming back pretty quick, once too. Yeah, once a week, though. I think I think they were going between Friday and Saturday, but I think it's going to be just Saturday nights going forward once a week. So. Yeah, once a week. You guys had the schedule of fights was crazy, yeah. what you guys had. Fights a week for seven weeks. That's nuts. I, that was, I, played by, I mean, I'm like, I need a break. I dates and names were getting mixed up oh I yeah remember who knocked who out in what round it was just study and purge and study and purge because that's the only way you can yeah keep up with what's going on so. yeah i never remember even in the early days of doing the top ring series every week for 45 or 46 weeks a year and even if i'd throw in it there'd be a pay-per-view thrown in or something i never remember doing two fights a week for that long a period. That's a lot of boxing. So it was a lot. And people were like, yeah. oh, do you remember he fought? I was like, I do not remember last week. That was four no. shows ago by right. now. <laughs> it's, like, it's crazy. So, That's true. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, you take care and I'll talk to you soon. And um, thanks again for doing this. You got it. Thank you to your crew. Bye bye. Take day. care. So that was our visit with Christina Poncher and uh, Trip, I'm, I'm so thrilled that in the early days, I had a little something to do with her uh, kind of moving into the boxing part of her broadcasting career. Well, and she, well, and she you, you can see that she has whatever it is to be a great broadcaster. But looking at the difference in what was an all-male bastion back in the 80s, really when you started, or first year or two at ESPN, it has changed demonstrably. And women's voices have brought something to the sport, which makes – broadcasting rise up just by their inclusion, I think. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, I, I said it in the interview I, I, when I was talking to her about her being kind of a groundbreaker in the boxing world, and I said I'm loath to even bring this up because I hate the idea that you have to bring up, uh, you know, this situation, and, and it's le certainly now uh, women have a, a much broader role in, uh, in, in sports broadcasting. Um, it shouldn't even be something we have to bring up, but it is interesting watching the um, the growth uh, of of women in sports broadcasting. When I started out in the early 1980s, there were very few. ESPN had uh, some women working with them. I remember Gail Gardner, who did the um, uh, Sports Center, came out to cover a number of fights where she would be the anchor. Uh, on the coverage, uh, working with me, and I think Jim Gray was just beginning at that time, and and uh, and we'd often have uh, another boxing person with us, and uh, we, she and I had many conversations over coffee, uh, where we just were chatting about, you know, the idea that she was a groundbreaker, and uh, she had to kind of make sure that, uh, you know, she got the job done, and I think women 
much like other minorities uh, in certain situations, felt like they had to be better, uh, not just good enough, but better so that they didn't uh, suffer the slings and arrows of people being critical. And now, it, obviously, for the most part, um, you know, uh, people understand that women are going to be in sports broadcasts and they're part of the landscape. And uh, many are doing a terrific job. And, uh, uh, and it's a, a part of the, um, the scene in sports broadcasting. And one of my, uh, you know, I've had many, many good friends in broadcasting, uh, women who are, have done a terrific job. And, uh, and I, always, I always enjoy hearing them give me their perspective in terms of, you know, what it has taken for them in ser several instances to gain acceptance and, uh, and move ahead with their profession. But uh, thank goodness we're in a more, enli more enlightened era now. Well, speaking of enlightened, we have some great, great people who send us wonderful questions. And uh, let's get going. Uh, so, quick one. Uh, I've got a, how good would Edwin Valero have been? Yeah, that's interesting. Edwin Valero, of course, who um, died after, uh, in tragic circumstances, you know, he, he committed murder and then presumably, uh, you know, he died in jail. Uh, and you know, it was a very, very tragic situation uh, with him. And in the ring, I did his last fight. Um, and it was when he was just starting to gain more worldwide acceptance. And you could see the potential that this young man had. Uh, he was a terrific fighter who I think would have been in the junior welterweight and welterweight division and uh, lightweight division, he probably could fight in a bunch of those weight classes. He was going to be a superstar. I believe that he was, you know, had the ability at least to do that. Now, whether he could have ever controlled his, his life and his instincts and his darker side enough to do that remains to be seen. But I think Edwin Valero would have been a superstar. And if you look at it, a lot of boxers that we know to this day have had time behind bars, and boxing is an amazing sport for rehabilitating people. It is. I mean, you know, it's, it's a sport that has given many people direction. Uh, we had a couple of fighters on our card this past week. Uh, Tremaine Williams is a perfect example who fought in the main event. Uh, he, for the last three or four or five years, he's really straightened his life out, and he had a shot at a world title. Yep. Yep. Yes. Next question from Matt Nichols. All time, who wins? And he's got two great fights. So let's do the first one, Armstrong versus Duran at 135. Henry Armstrong, Hammer and Hank, the great, uh, the man who won a title in three weight classes and not with junior divisions. You know, he won three weight classes that were separated by, by a lot, uh, the featherweight, uh, lightweight, and welterweight. And Henry Armstrong is on almost everyone's top five list. Roberto Duran, of course, iconic and a fantastic fighter. And, and at 135 is the weight class where he was probably at his absolute best. This is a very tricky fight to, to figure out because Armstrong was very aggressive and would, you know, they would have gotten together and, and many punches would have been thrown and landed. I I'm going to give a very slight nod to Roberto Duran in this fight. 
partially because I've seen video of film of Henry Armstrong, but I, I can't say I've seen enough to understand exactly how good he was, but I know he was great. But part of it is even what I've seen. I think that Duran was so relaxed in the way he handled pressure and, and dealt with it that I think he might have just barely edged out Henry Armstrong in a close decision, but it's clearly a fight that could have gone either way. Okay, and next, okay, and next fight, Hearns Mayweather at 147. Yeah, this one uh, I have less uh, um, doubt about. I think Tommy Hearns is a nightmare matchup for Floyd Mayweather. Uh, tall, rangy, powerful, could box. Uh, I, I, and the only issues he ever had was when somebody was a big puncher and could hurt him. Uh, and I would go to the fight between uh, Tommy Hearns and Wilfred Benitez, who is a latter-day Floyd Mayweather, uh, very similar to Floyd in terms of his overall skill set and boxing ability. And uh, Hearns beat Wilfred Benitez. It went to a decision, as I think the Hearns-Mayweather fight likely would. But I, I think Tommy Hearns would use his height and his reach uh, to bedevil uh, – Mayweather, and I don't think Floyd would be able to hurt him. So I think it would be a win for Tommy Hearns. A glorious time in the 80s when we had some so many amazing fighters at that range. Can you imagine if Mayweather was born 20 years, 30 years earlier, and you had his personality? Well, it would have been interesting. I mean, number one, it would be fascinating to have seen him compete against that group of uh, of welterweights, um, you know, and of course his, he was also excellent at lower weights, Floyd Mayweather. So even in those weights, you know, we might've seen him in against uh, some great people. So, you know, Floyd's faced a lot of excellent fighters, uh, terrific fighters. Um, but during that era, we would have loved to have seen him in against uh, some of these great fighters. Great. Great. Okay. Next question from Gary Young. What are your three current dream fights? Ah, yeah. Uh, the three fights that uh, probably uh, I would think of now that I would – I mean, there, there are a bunch of fights I'd like to see, but I just kind of picked out three that I think were would be uh, interesting. One of them is likely to happen, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez at the 140-pound weight class. Uh, that one they're kind of building toward, and I have a feeling that one is going to happen, and that's one I, I would really like to see. I'd love to see Canelo – and David Benavides. We're going to have David Benavides coming up on our, our next fight in a week and a half or so on, uh, on Showtime. And that fight at 168, I think, is a, a really good fight because Benavides is an offensive machine who has defensive liabilities. Canelo has a phenomenal chin. So I expect Benavides would land, land a lot of punches, but would he hurt Canelo? And Canelo would certainly land some big shots against Benavides. And how much would Benavides' uh, defensive liabilities uh, mean in terms of whether he could win the fight? So I, I love that fight. I think it's, uh, uh, it's really um, uh, an interesting one. Um, and uh, for number three, um, what was my number three fight? Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, because everybody wants it, uh, Errol Spence and... Jamal and um, Crawford, uh, you know, uh, and Terrence Crawford. I, 
everybody wants to see it. So I want to see it. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those fights that, you know, it's it, boxing has fights like that, that it's like a, an itch that you can't scratch. And when a fight doesn't happen like that, it was like Mayweather Pacquiao for all those years. Uh, it, it begins to be a boil for boxing, you know, like a, like a, just a, a thing that the casual boxing fan and the casual person that covers the sport uh, once in a while, they go to it like a magnet. Well, yeah, see, they're not making that Spence Crawford fight, so the sport clearly doesn't make any fights. So I would like to see that one made for a lot of different reasons. One, it would be an interesting, great fight. And number two, it would get the monkey off boxing's back. Yeah, and Mayweather Pacquiao, if it had been made five years earlier, would have been one of the great fights, potentially at least, one of the greatest fights. Absolutely, ever. yeah, it still did great commerce but as a fight it would have been i think uh, uh really exciting okay okay this is from robin ray a question you've probably been asked a few times how about a 1966 muhammad ali from the cleveland william fight versus a 1988 mike tyson from the 91 second special the mike michael spinks fight who wins in your humble opinion yeah he picked a period where both those fighters were dazzling i mean the the uh, Ali that fought Cleveland Williams. And Cleveland Williams was a big punching, hard-hitting heavyweight. He had lost to, to Sonny Liston from a previous, semi-previous year, I guess. Uh, but he was a big puncher. And Ali just destroyed him. And, of course, we know what Tyson did against uh, Michael Spinks. Those fighters at that time, we, it was an Ali that still had great movement, was way before the rope-a-dope times. He had a hand speed to beat the band and was a very active fighter in terms of volume of punching. Tyson, powerful, relentless, quick, and, and uh, put pressure on you every second of every round. The difference in this fight at the end of the day, in my opinion, would be Ali's chin. Ali had maybe the best chin in the history of boxing. He just, he might, he went down against Joe Frazier, but jumped, jumped up immediately. Uh, he took vicious pummeling from Joe Frazier in a number of fights, from Kenny Norton, from Ernie Shavers, who was a monstrous puncher. Uh, other fighters that, Ron Lyle, who was a really good puncher. Hurting Ali was, and keeping him down was virtual impossibility. So if this fight was destined to go the distance, which I, which it may have been, I have to believe Ali would have been able to box effectively and win a decision against Tyson. It was, certainly would have been an interesting challenge at that time to Ali, that's for sure. But I think he would have frustrated Mike Tyson and ultimately won a decision. And I know you went out and bet the farm on the Buster Douglas fight in Tokyo with Mike Tyson, you knew that that upset was coming, didn't you? You were the one guy. I had a sixth sense that uh, <laughs> that he was doing it and uh, and did go out. And is my nose growing when I tell you this? Uh, because I, I'm clearly lying. Uh, yeah, it was. In fact, I didn't even go cover that fight. Um, you know, we were covering all the major fights for Sports Center and ESPN, and they didn't even send me. They sent Eric Clemens to just kind of peripherally cover. They didn't. We didn't do our normal coverage on it because nobody expected. Uh, Buster Douglas to win that fight. Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, memories is that was the night of the All Star Game Skills Competition, 
and we're flipping back and forth, and no one thought Buster Douglas had a chance, but uh, fighters, all be, they all become human. Here's a funny story. I watched that fight in the same room as Donald Trump. You are kidding me. I was, uh, it was a, there was a, I was at a benefit uh, that was being done. It was an Italian American group that invited me to come because why would you not want a guy named Bernstein at your event? Uh, <laughs> it's a natural. I guess they knew I was married to a Rocco, right? Uh, yeah. And we were there with a bunch of celebrities, you know, a lot of Italian American celebrities. And, and, and uh, Johnny Russo, who, was, uh, who had a role in The Godfather, who was also a performer, did a benefit and then or did a performance. And we all spoke and we signed autographs and did a bunch of things. And then we went up to this room where, they where Trump was there with a lot of his executives and of course all the celebrities were there and they had you know a lovely spread there for us and we watched the the Douglas um, Tyson fight and of course you remember that Trump's hotel was set to uh, to host the Holyfield Tyson fight after that it was going to be a huge event huge huge very huge yeah it was going to be monstrous and the fight starts, and it's not going so well for Mike Tyson. And I see Trump and his minions. They were about 10 feet away from me. They're getting more and more agitated over, <laughs> over this. And then one of the guys comes over, and he, he said to me, he said, Tyson can't lose this fight, can he? I said, well, you know, the way it's going, I think it is possible. <laughs> so I, I, said, I said, I know you want me to reassure you and your boss that he can't, but nonetheless, I, I think he possibly can. Uh, and of course, you know, it, it turned out that he did. They were none too happy um, by the time they, they left the, uh, uh, that <laughs> evening. They had seen millions of dollars go down the drain. Yeah, and it, it changed everything. One... Uh one fight but uh that's that's the beauty of the sport and that's why we all love covering it so much and our uh we've got another question from nando is the twin charlo day night doubleheader pay-per-view potentially the deepest ppv fight card since revenge of the rematches yeah that was a very esoteric and interesting question and it had me going back in time to remind myself of that pay-per-view that he talked about revenge of the rematches it was put on by don king and here i'm going to read to you uh the people that were on that that pay-per-view uh back then it was julio cesar chavez in a rematch against frankie randall azuma nelson in a rematch against jesse james leha gerald mcclellan in a rematch against julian jackson and terry norris in a rematch against simon brown so you can't – it's pretty hard to get a pay-per-view with that many champions on it, several Hall of Famers included in that group. It, I mean, that was an amazing collection of talent. And to simply even be mentioned in the same breath as that pay-per-view in terms of depth is pretty extraordinary. But this pay-per-view card on September 26th, is a strong one, and I'm going to remind people who, who, what the fights are on this card coming up on September 26th. It features, as you mentioned, both Jermel and Jermall Charlo. First of all, Jermel Charlo against Jason Rosario in a 
title unification matchup. Rosario just beat Julian Williams. That's a terrific fight. Jamal Charlo taking on uh, Sergei Derevchenko, who just had a fight in which many people believe he beat Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. That's a spectacular matchup. A young phenom, Brandon Figueroa, taking on Damon Vasquez. Also, Mario Barrios, a very talented champion, taking on Ryan Carl, who's a, who's a good fighter. And these last two fights, very exciting matches. Daniel Roman, uh, at a, hundred, a former 122-pound champ, against Emmanuel Rodriguez, also a champion. That's a fantastic fight. And finally, Diego Magdaleno, a former champ against Isaac Cruz, who is a full-on action fighter, uh, Magdaleno needs this win badly to stay in championship contention. That's kind of a day-night doubleheader pay-per-view. There's going to be three fights that'll start in the kind of in the late afternoon. Then we'll have a half-hour break in between, and then there'll be three matches after it. It is, in terms of the depth of matchmaking and potentially good fights, I have to believe it's one of the top pay-per-view cards since that one that uh, was referenced, the revenge of the rematches, which is pretty extraordinary. Well, we have, I, I don't want to suck up to our, our viewers, but we get great questions. We do. And that one was interesting. I hadn't thought of that revenge of the rematches in ages. And uh, so that was, a, that was an apt comparison. Well, hey, a lot of fun. So you, so the CBS corporate jet picked you up. Did they land at McCarran, or did they come right to your house and you pick know what? you up? They, the, you yeah, up? They, they, they actually uh, used Chasing Star Avenue as a runway to bring the plane right to me, and I thought that was a nice gesture. You know, they're top talent. you got to treat them right. Yeah, that's what I say. You know, I, that's what I think. So it was, it was a great experience, and, uh, of course, we're going uh, to be back again um, uh, in a couple of weeks um, and uh, on August 15th, and we'll have uh, – the 14th, I think. And uh, we'll be back with uh, David Benavides uh, topping the bill. And uh, we're looking forward to it as boxing continues to make its climb back. And we will have another episode of Albert Scene Unplugged next week. So please be there to join us.